0: The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Hey guys, just a quick disclaimer. This episode involves discussions about domestic violence, body dismemberment, and mention of animal cruelty. Please use discretion. In April of 2016, Air Force veteran and hospice nurse Tricia Todd mysteriously vanished from a tranquil beachside town. The 33-year-old mother of one was vivacious, compassionate, and well-liked in her community. No one could ever imagine she would abandon her young daughter, and the notion of someone wanting to harm her was equally unfathomable. Years of secrecy obscured a daunting truth, one that wouldn't be fully unveiled until it was much too late. This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I walk you through the murder case of Trisha Todd. This case takes us to Hope Sound, Florida. The unincorporated village is located between the towns of Stewart and Jupiter in a region of Martin County known as the Treasure Coast. Hobe Sound is known for its pristine beaches, scenic nature preserves, championship golf courses, and charming boutique shops. Yet even with its natural beauty attracting new residents and visitors, there were aspirations of making the beachfront town even more appealing. The Olympia Improvement Corporation had big plans for Hobe Sound. In the mid-1920s, New York movie producers planned to purchase tracts of land and renamed the town Picture City. The plan was to make Hobe Sound a buzzworthy location to film motion pictures like a Greek-themed East Coast Hollywood. Streets were renamed to coincide with figures from mythology, like Pluto, Zeus, Athena, and Saturn. But unpaid loans taken out by developers and a powerful hurricane in 1928 put a stop to those plans. Today, Hobe Sound is considered a great place to raise a family. With a low crime rate and a top-rated public school system, it's easy to understand why many people choose to raise their children in this serene paradise. On Wednesday, April 27, 2016, a woman named Trisha Todd failed to show up for work. This set off alarm bells, both for her colleagues and her family as she was known to be very dedicated to her career. In addition to being absent from work, Trisha also failed to pick up her daughter as planned that morning, which was not at all typical of the devoted mother. Trisha's absence on this day would spark an investigation into her disappearance while her loved ones held out hope that she would be found safe. Sadly, Their hopeful spirit would be broken as a dark truth was eventually revealed. Trisha Gail Todd was born on February 19th of 1986 in Stewart, Florida. She was one of eight children, the only girl alongside seven brothers. Her youngest brother, Nathan, was 11 years younger. Trisha was raised in a religiously devout Christian household, and her faith was always a priority. As she got older, she would sometimes go on mission trips abroad to endorse her faith. Trisha grew up with a boy named Stephen Williams, who was two years younger than her. They both attended Hope Sound Christian Academy, where Stephen was in the same class as one of Trisha's brothers. Their friendship soon blossomed into a romance. After graduating, Trisha and Stephen went on to enlist in the U.S. Air Force. After basic training, Trisha was stationed at Shaw Air Force Base just outside Columbia, South Carolina. During her four years of military service, she worked in food services before reporting for active duty as a senior airman. During that time, she was deployed to Iraq and Kuwait. She was eventually discharged in 2008. Stephen was based at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. After four years, he worked his way up to field training detachment sergeant with a specialty in fighter aircraft. Stephen, known to be very friendly, was a highly respected career military man with an exemplary record. The pair got married on February 4, 2005. By all outward appearances, Trisha and Stephen had a happy and loving marriage. After her time in the Air Force, Trisha attended Central Carolina Technical College for Nursing. In 2014, she gave birth to their daughter, Faith. Soon, cracks in Tricia and Stephen's relationship appeared, and it seemed their once happy marriage was on the rocks. They always managed to reunite, though with Trisha leaning heavily on her faith for support. Despite efforts to make things work, the couple decided to divorce in February of 2016 after 11 years of marriage. The split seemed very amicable. Trisha even reportedly opted out of receiving alimony from Stephen. After their split, Trisha moved off base to Hope Sound, Florida. She and Faith lived briefly with Trisha's brother, Joshua. Trisha was elated to live within driving distance of several members of her family again, and she loved having them involved in Faith's upbringing. Shortly after moving, Trisha landed a position as a nurse at Treasure Coast Hospice in Port St. Lucie. Her co-workers attested that patients adored Trisha for her positivity and warmth. According to former colleague Brandy Wethington, as quoted in a September 3rd, 2016 article by Lulu Ramadan for the Palm Beach Post, she had unbelievable faith unlike anyone else. She wasn't afraid of death or of dying. She saw it as a way of being closer with God. Wethington went on to say Trisha could often be seen praying with hospice patients and their families. It was clear to everyone close to Trisha she had found her calling. For this reason, when 33-year-old Trisha didn't show up for work that April 2016 day, people close to her knew something was wrong. This, coupled with the fact that Trisha hadn't arrived to pick up her beloved daughter, was alarming. During this time, Trisha's ex, Stephen, had been staying at an Airbnb in a nearby community known as Poinciana Gardens for nearly a week in order to spend time with his daughter. When Trisha could not be located and Stephen was due back at base in North Carolina, he decided to leave Faith with a babysitter. Knowing how out of character it was for his sister not to arrive for work or to pick up her daughter, Trisha's brother decided to file a missing persons report. A full-scale search followed after Trisha went missing. Search efforts lasted almost a month and involved 25 police officials. Volunteers joined in scouring a 15-mile radius around Trisha Todd's home. The effort involved helicopters, ATVs, bloodhounds, and marine units, all navigating the swamplands, dunes, and forests for any trace of her. They even circled a local park where Trisha was known to take early morning walks there was no sign of her. Mysteriously, Trisha's truck was found parked in front of her house. Inside the unlocked vehicle, the keys dangled in the ignition and her purse lay on the passenger seat. It was an eerie scene, as if Trisha had left the car momentarily and her belongings sat there awaiting her return. The gas tank had been inexplicably drained. In an NBC News article dated May 2, 2016, Martin County Sheriff William Snyder revealed that 15 to 20 tips about the case had come in. Some of these callers claimed to have seen Trisha since she had gone missing, but these leads led nowhere. The Martin County Sheriff's Office continued to ask people to come forward if they heard from Trisha. Trisha's ex-husband, Stephen Williams, was immediately called in for questioning after she went missing. After all, he was confirmed to be the last person to see her alive. Early on in the investigation, Stephen was given a polygraph exam, which he passed. On May 3rd, he was interviewed by a Martin County detective, two lieutenants, and an assistant state's attorney. Sheriff Snyder told NBC News journalist Eric Ortiz, Nothing in the ex-husband's lengthy interview, and it was a long and detailed interview, nor his polygraph exam, indicated that he was involved or had any additional information about Tricia Todd's disappearance. Even so, forensic detectives examined both Tricia and Stephen's cars. They also looked through Tricia's home, but no substantial evidence was found. According to journalist Jason Matero for the website True Crime Daily, Martin County Sergeant's Lieutenant Mike Doherty said there was no activity on her bank accounts or credit cards or cell phone. As detectives continued on with their investigation, they discovered several segments of surveillance video that would prove pertinent to the case. In footage pulled from a Publix grocery store from the night before Trisha vanished, she can be seen chatting happily with a store clerk. Nothing about her demeanor in the video footage seemed unusual to detectives. Video surveillance around Stephen's rental property showed Trisha driving away, and then a neighbor's security camera captured her driving back to her home. Footage captured later, however, showed Stephen leaving Trisha's home by foot. Seeing Stephen walking away from Trisha's home was certainly suspicious in the eyes of investigators, but not quite enough to charge him with anything. Sheriff Snyder told Phil Helsel for NBC News, the case was circumstantially very suspicious. Forensically, nothing. With a lack of evidence and no other leads, investigators wondered if Trisha had been abducted. But this case seemed to be missing all the major elements of an abduction case. No witnesses came forward saying they heard screams, and there was no physical evidence in the house or in the cars to indicate any kind of struggle consistent with an abduction. One thing was certain. As detectives interviewed Tricia's loved ones, they all said it was highly unlikely she would just take off without telling anyone. Ever since the birth of her daughter, Trisha had been in touch constantly with friends and family. Then, investigators got access to Trisha's online journal, and in it, crucial evidence and disturbing details about someone she loved were revealed. Trisha had given her online journal the title, Beauty for Ashes, and it contained years of writings. She wrote openly about her faith, her life, and her rocky relationship with Stephen. Tricia's perception of her then-husband shifted several times, flip-flopping from admiration and respect to palpable trepidation. As quoted in the Palm Beach Post, Tricia wrote about Stephen accidentally breaking the neck of one of her kittens in a rage. In August of 2009, she wrote, It takes a truly evil person to kill such a sweet kitten. That's when I finally saw him for what he was and left him. I have forgiven my soon-to-be ex-husband for many things, but have been holding out on these things. It seems Trisha had planned to split from Stephen then, long before their daughter was born, but something held her back. It turned out to be her faith. She went on to write in her journal. I looked up to the sky. I said, God, if I am supposed to be with my husband, give me an overwhelming love for him. God did. I felt like heaven opened up and dumped all its love into my heart. Based on the contents of Trisha's online journal, investigators had a strong suspicion that Stephen was involved in her disappearance. He had a disturbing pattern of violent tendencies that included harming animals on several occasions. It seemed as though Trisha's pets bore the brunt of his rage, with Trisha mentioning the death of a handful of cats and dogs in her writing. According to her journal, Stephen would often make excuses. One dog was supposedly hit by a truck, and her cats who had been slowly poisoned, were just sickly. This was a huge red flag to detectives, as people who harm animals have often shown progression in their behavior, eventually going on to harm human beings. Investigators knew that Stephen's behavior was abnormal, and they needed to explore this lead further. In addition to the accounts of Stephen harming animals, There were a few domestic violence incidents two years prior, but Trisha had dropped the charges. The search for Trisha continued without success. Unfortunately, the search was officially called off on May 9th. Then, when it seemed all hope had been lost to find out what happened to Trisha, investigators and family members would finally learn the tragic truth.
0: In 1996, the city of Boulder, Colorado, was rocked by the brutal murder of JonBenet Ramsey. Her unsolved murder remains one of the most infamous cases in modern American history, with a plethora of books, TV shows and documentaries detailing the complex case. However, just eight years prior, the town of Midlothian in Illinois was the scene of an eerily similar case. In September of 1988, Seven-year-old Jacqueline DeWallaby vanished from her home in the middle of the night.
1: We were a safe community. Something like that happening would have never crossed our parents' minds.
2: The plot line of each case read like it was cut from the same cloth. A little girl vanished from her home in the middle of the night. A shattered basement window was put forward as a potential entry point for an intruder. The crime scene was mishandled and the parents fell under a cloud of suspicion.
0: We're not ruling out that a relative or friend could be involved.
2: How can one case evoke national interest while another fall into obscurity? The beauty queen Polaroids of John Benet Ramsey dominated the media as well as the family's wealth, while the working-class lifestyles of Jacqueline de Wallaby's family were scrutinised almost exclusively by local news. Both families launched an exhaustive defence, but the disparities in class meant that one would be left bankrupt by the ordeal.
0: We like to imagine that a child's bedroom is a safe haven from predators. We also like to imagine that we all know our neighbours, especially in small towns where everyone knows one another. The notion that a stranger can slip into a child's bedroom in the middle of the night, completely undetected, is surely a notion that every single parent on this earth fears. But what's even more lamentable is knowing that a child killer is roaming the street, and even more chilling, they could be someone you know. The murder of Jacqueline DeWallaby is a tragedy that has puzzled and
2: polarized the minds of those who know it. Over the past six months, we've extensively investigated this case, trawling through files, trial transcripts and archives, and have been conducting interviews with the people who've lived through it. Hosted by Emily G. Thompson, a published true crime author and podcaster, and Eileen McFarlane, a true crime podcaster with a journalistic background. This is The Shattered Window.
1: Are you tired of battling through the dreaded pre-period week or struggling with menopause symptoms? It's time to reclaim control with estro control. When I'm not feeling like myself, I'm not able to show up as my best self for my family, my friends, or my podcast team. Martin County detectives traveled to Stevens' base in North Carolina on several occasions to interview him. Other times they flew him in. Based on theories they had about Stevens' personality, investigators came up with a strategic plan they believed might get him to speak more openly. Lead Detective Yasenia Carde told news outlet ABC25 WPBF We had to tactically make her out to be the bad guy and he was the victim. That's what he played on. That's what he finally broke on. On Tuesday, May 25th, 2016, after nearly four weeks of exhaustive searches and countless hours of worry, detectives finally got what they were after. Stephen Williams confessed to killing Trisha Todd and disposing of her body. Stephen Williams was taken into custody at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base and transported back to Martin County. As documented by Christopher Brennan for the New York Daily News, in his confession, Stephen told police he had pushed Tricia in self defense. He said she had been yelling in his face as they argued over money, mainly over child support payments. He wanted full custody of their daughter, but Tricia, would never give up her daughter to him. According to Stephen, the violent scene had unfolded with their two-year-old daughter in the house. He claimed that Trisha died as a result of a head injury. He said he panicked and loaded her body into the back seat of her own car. Then he set her down peacefully along a dirt road. Investigators sensed there was much more to the story, but they worked patiently, not giving up their full hand right away. They would certainly circle back at some point and attempt to get the full story. Stephen Williams was charged with second-degree murder and child neglect. He would remain in Martin County Jail, held without bond for 130 days. Upon learning the awful truth about Trisha, that she was never coming back, her family, friends, and the community began to mourn her death. The day after Stephen's arrest, Trisha's family released a public statement. As documented by journalist Gary Detman for CBS 12 News Palm Beach, the statement read, The confirmation of Trisha's death is beyond heartbreaking and indescribably painful. We will miss her vibrant love of life, her servant's heart, and her beautiful smile. Trisha's life was a testimony of God's grace and mercy. We will mourn our loss. We know that Trisha is not truly lost, but in the arms of her loving Heavenly Father. This assurance gives us hope in knowing we will one day be together again. Trisha's little girl was blessed with a loving mother, and we will make sure that she knows just how much her mommy loved her every day. She is in a safe, healthy home environment and being surrounded with the love of her family. Trisha's compassion and love for others, and most importantly, her love for God, will live on in the hearts of all who knew her. The love and prayers from people around the world are sustaining our family during this difficult time. A well-attended memorial service for Tricia was held on June 7th at Christ Fellowship Church in Stewart, Florida. Around 800 people joined together in mourning her death, with the service also streamed online. According to journalist Julius Wiggum II for Palm Beach Post, Words used to describe Trisha by those who gave eulogies included fierce, happy, nice, loving, and kind. Her sister-in-law, Christy Todd, remarked, Trisha truly knew how to live and love deeply. Trisha's youngest brother, Nathan, spoke of his adoration for his big sister. According to the same Palm Beach Post article, he said Trisha was a loving and sassy big sister who took care of me. As time went on, she became that cool big sister that would pick me up from lunch and kindergarten, who took care of me. When asked about his ex-brother-in-law having a role in Trisha's death, 19-year-old Nathan said, I hold no bitterness or anger toward the one who did this to her. I ask that all of you pray for him. It seemed the Todd family had forgiven her killer, but prosecutors still needed to decide how to bring Stephen to justice. After his confession and subsequent arrest, Stephen knew if this case went to trial, he could be sent away for life. Given this, his attorneys and the DA's office negotiated a plea deal in exchange for the location of Trisha's body. Stephen would plead no contest to second-degree murder and serve a 35-year prison sentence. When asked about the decision to negotiate a plea deal, Sheriff Snyder said in a News 6 Orlando article, we had to calculate during that negotiation. We would take a 35-year plea and get that body or we would roll the dice, thinking we may never get the body and then go to trial and no guarantee we even got a 35-year plea? On May 26th, Stephen Williams followed through on the deal and pointed detectives to Trisha's burial site. He guided them to the Hungryland Wildlife and Environmental Area, about 20 miles from Trisha's home. The park is made up of mixed terrain, including swamplands, prairies, and pine flatwoods. The park is a haven for nature lovers, with locals enjoying camping, hunting, and fishing year-round. About three miles from the preserve's main entrance, a plastic container full of acid was located. It had been buried only a few feet underground. Inside, detectives found decomposed remains. Unfortunately, no major body parts were located. All that was left inside the tub were traces of soft tissue. Everything else had disintegrated. Over the course of several days, Divers relied on sonar technology to continue their search for evidence. They unearthed several tools, including a chainsaw, a reciprocating saw, and a pair of pliers. Some of the tools had hair follicles stuck to them. Detectives speculated all of the sharp instruments were used to dismember Trisha's body. Nine human teeth were also uncovered in an alligator-infested canal close to the burial site. All of the teeth matched Tricia's dental records. This, however, was not what the Martin County Sheriff's Office, the District Attorney, nor Tricia's family had agreed to when settling on a plea deal. Stephen had promised to take them to Tricia's remains, but only parts of her had been found. It was up to the state to decide whether the plea deal would be nullified. In a May article for the New York Daily News, Assistant state attorney Tom Bacadal said he believed the defendant broke the deal and wanted to put Stephen on a slow bus to death row. In June, the state asked for more time to determine if Stephen upheld his end of the plea bargain. In a post sentencing article, Martin County Sheriff Snyder told the Palm Beach Post a forensic lab was able to reconstruct the method Stephen used to dispose of Trisha's body. It was also determined that all of her remains were in Hungryland Preserve. They were just scattered. Around the time the state filed for the extension, defense attorneys requested a mental health evaluation. As soon as he had arrived in jail, Stephen was held in the medical ward. Not only was he put on suicide watch, it was also done as a protective measure. As a Facebook post had been published with his mugshot, and a death threat from someone who had known Tricia. For weeks, officers recorded Stephen's every move in 15-minute increments on an inmate observation sheet. According to WPTV, on May 29, just days after his murder confession, deputies noticed Stephen covering himself in his blanket and doing something odd to his mattress. Turns out, he had been pulling out the nylon cords, possibly with the intent of harming himself. Other days of observation were far less eventful. Notes from one sample document dated June 1, 2016, include phrases such as lying in bed quietly, sitting on bed, and appears asleep in bed. After the mental health assessment requested by the defense was completed, it was determined that Stephen Williams was competent to stand trial. The prosecution then moved forward with the sentencing hearing. The hearing was held on Friday, September 30th, 2016, at the Martin County Courthouse in Stewart. Judge Lawrence Mearman presided over the case. As cited in the Palm Beach Post, Judge Mearman said although the sentence was clearly less than full justice— The plea enabled loved ones to know what happened to Tricia. He went on to say that while some were critical of how quickly the plea bargain was in place, it was the best choice to help answer questions and reveal the true horrific nature of the crime. Both Tricia's father, David Todd, and Stephen's father, Jack Williams, were in attendance. David Todd told the Palm Beach Post he was still surprised Stephen did this, because he was the perfect gentleman. During the sentencing, Todd addressed Stephen directly. He was quoted in T.C. Palm as saying, I have failed you. You were my son-in-law. I pray that God will touch your heart. In the same article, the grieving father added, I really hope that he doesn't get out again and kill someone else. He said he hoped Stephen would change by finding happiness through faith and taking advantage of educational opportunities in prison for the next few decades. In an article in the Naples Daily News, David Todd was photographed with Stephen's father, Jack Williams, after they embraced. In an unexpected twist, Tricia's father expressed sympathy for his daughter's killer. He explained to the news outlet, I just wanted to tell him I'm sorry for all the trouble his son had been through. Trisha's brothers also spoke during the hearing, conveying a shared message of forgiveness for the man who took Trisha from them. In a Palm Beach Post article, her brother Kendall said he hoped Stephen could find God and become a better person. It was clear that Trisha's family relied heavily on faith and forgiveness to cope with their insurmountable loss. As previously negotiated, thirty one year old Stephen Williams was sentenced to thirty five years for second degree murder and five years for child neglect. The sentences would run concurrently. The child neglect charges stemmed from his daughter, Faith, being left alone in the home while he had driven around with Trisha's body. Stephen was credited for one hundred and thirty days served in the county jail before being sent to the Central Florida Reception Center in Orlando. He is slated for release in May of 2051. The case that captivated a beachfront community and seemingly came to a close after the perpetrator was sentenced wasn't actually closed in the minds of investigators. There were still unanswered questions regarding Trisha's murder and Martin County Detective Michael Oliver was determined to get the whole story. Oliver visited Stephen in prison about a month after his sentencing. He was joined by Captain John Cummings and two Air Force special agents. With nothing left to lose, Stephen elaborated on his initial confession. In an exclusive interview for the Palm Beach Post, journalist Hannah Winston detailed the chilling new information Oliver and Cummings had obtained. The murder had been entirely premeditated. Stephen had planned to kill Trisha when she came to his Airbnb that fateful day in April of 2016. But after spending the whole day together, as a family, Stephen lost his nerve. The turning point came around midnight, when Trisha left. He had sent her a text asking her to come back because their daughter was sick but this was just a twisted manipulation tactic to give him a second chance to follow through with killing his ex-wife. Trisha returned to Stephen's home and knocked on the door. Almost immediately, Stephen clamped his hands around her throat until she passed out. Then, he zip-tied Trisha's hands and feet. His plan was to wait until she regained consciousness so he could force her credit card numbers and email password out of her. He intended to use this information to make it look like Trisha took a mission trip to Haiti, as she'd done in the past. He even plotted to email her friends and family to let them know that she was leaving. When Trisha regained consciousness, however, his original plan was foiled. She began screaming and wouldn't stop. Their daughter was asleep in the master bedroom. Wanting the screaming to stop, Stephen beat Trisha over the head to silence her. He then strangled her until he felt her heart stop beating. To cover up the brutal killing, Stephen loaded Trisha's body into her car and started driving to the Hungerland Preserve. Earlier that day, he had dug a shallow hole and left behind a tub filled with acid. Although the future resting place of his ex-wife had been out in the open for anyone to see, nobody noticed it amid the rugged terrain. Stephen's plot was thrown off course again as he started driving Trisha's car. He noticed the gas was low, so low that he wouldn't make it to the preserve. He didn't feel safe pulling into a gas station with a dead body in the back, so he drove Trisha's car back to her house. Then, he got into his own car to dispose of Trisha's body. Upon arriving at the preserve, Stephen used battery-powered saws he'd bought on Amazon. The acid had been purchased months before in North Carolina. As Stephen gave detectives these brutal details, he reportedly was laughing and smiling about how he almost got away with it. As he told fellow inmates, Stephen confessed because he was just tired of lying. He added it would have been easier to get away with it in North Carolina. Reacting to these new details, Captain Cummings told the Palm Beach Post speaking with Stephen had validated a lot of things we thought all along. Ultimately, it comes down to greed and anger. Stephen wanted full custody of their daughter And didn't want to pay child support, so he took out the person who stood in the way of these greedy and selfish desires. While detectives had their own closure on the case, so did Tricia's family. As awful as it must have been to learn what happened to her, in a TC Palm Post published the day of the sentencing, David Todd told journalist Lori K. Blandford, "It's time to be alone and thank God for my daughter." I'm very thankful because we had Trisha for 30 years. Trisha's daughter, Faith, was adopted by her brother, Jonathan, and his wife. In a Fox 29 News article marking the two-year anniversary of Trisha's death, Jonathan mentioned how his sister's legacy lives on in her daughter. Her laugh is identical to my sister's laugh, he said. In the same article, Sheriff Snyder offered words of caution. He is quoted as saying, If you're aware of a family in crisis or perhaps one of the spouses, whatever the relationships might be, are exhibiting violent behavior, violent tendencies, say something, get somebody involved. For more information on how you can help someone like Trisha Todd, visit the website for the National Domestic Violence Hotline at thehotline.org. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Murderish. Check out Murderish.com if you want to buy Murderish merchandise like t-shirts, face masks, and more. If you can't get enough Murderish, subscribe to our Patreon service to get immediate access to bonus content only available to Patreon subscribers. There's a link to go behind the scenes and become a Patreon subscriber at Murderish.com. Thank you to Jen L. and Heather S., for becoming Patreon subscribers. I appreciate you both very much. If you haven't joined the Murderish Facebook discussion group, do it. We have so much fun in there. You can also find me on Twitter at MurderishPod and on Instagram at MurderishPodcast. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, tell a friend about Murderish or write a review in your favorite podcast app. Murderish is mixed and mastered by John and Jessica Buchanis of Audio Editing Solutions. Music is by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. This episode was researched and written by Allison Schwartz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Shattered Window podcast and stick around after the closing music if you want to hear a list of sources used for this episode. As always, ishers, thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. Sources for this episode include a T.C. Palm September 30th 2016 article by Lori K. Blandford, a New York Daily News article dated May 28, 2016 by Christopher Brennan, a CBS 12 News Palm Beach May 25, 2016 article by Gary Detman, a CBS 12 News May 25, 2016 article by Jana Eichbach. A TC Palm May 10, 2016 article by Will Greenlee. A WPTV May 27, 2016 article by Alex Hagen. An NBC News article dated May 3, 2016 by Phil Helsel. An April 26, 2017 article at WPTV.com by Alyssa Hyman. A July 2017 article by Alyssa Hyman at WPTV.com. An August 6th, 2018 article at Treasure Coast Newspapers by Maureen Kenyon. A WPTV article dated June 7th, 2016 by Katie Lagrony. A November 11th, 2016 article at TrueCrimeDaily.com by Jason Matero. An NBC News article dated May 25th, 2016 by Eric Ortiz. An ABC 25 WPBF article dated July 23, 2016 by Terry Parker. A CBS 12 News article dated October 10, 2016 by Al Pefley. A Palm Beach Post September 2, 2016 article by Lulu Ramadan. An NBC News May 2, 2016 article by Tim Stello. A CBS 12 article dated May 27, 2016 by Kathleen Walter. An article in the Palm Beach Post dated June 8, 2016 by Julius Wiggum II. A 2016 obituary at treasurecoastseawinds.com. An article in the Clarion Ledger dated June 1, 2016 by Nicole Wiesenthal. An article in the Palm Beach Post dated October 1, 2016 by Hannah Winston. A November 17, 2016 article in the Palm Beach Post by Hannah Winston. An August 13th, 2016 article in the Palm Beach Post by Hannah Winston. A Fox 29 WFLX April 28th article at WFLX.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling
2: murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s.